for those of you, I've been talking a lot the last couple of weeks and months about um, Jordan B. Peterson, and he's a well-known speaker and psychologist. Um, and recently, he was on a debate where the most well-known Nobel Prize winner lady, who's a naturalist, so she doesn't believe that, uh, she's an atheist, she doesn't believe there's a God, and she believes that everything is, is natural law. And one of the apologetics that was on this program then made uh, a appeal by saying, well, if you, if you don't have a God, and there is no God, then there's no moral purpose. Then there's no meaning in life. And uh, she then came and said, well, modernity, meaning how the world has been developing over the last hundred years, is we're making the world better. It's evolution. You know, we, uh, we have eradicated hunger all over the world. Some of the major diseases we've conquered. We haven't seen a war in the last 57, how many? 50 years, 60 years, and uh, 70 years. So evolution is making the world better. We don't need a God to make the world better. And then, you know, there's this expectation where, where Jordan B. Peterson, which is an academic, and when you sort of speak on that platform, you come with empirical data and founded arguments to sort of compete. And then he came from a total different angle. He says, the other night I had a dream. In academic, we don't want to hear about your dreams, you know, sort of give me the facts, give me the data. So he says, I had a dream, it was an interesting dream. He says, I dreamt of a cathedral, and I dreamt of all these graves of the great kings who ever lived. And then they got resurrected, and they became alive, and being behold, these kings started fighting with one another, for they're kings, it's what they do, they fight and they conquer. He says, and in the dream before he awoke, he saw the image of Christ appear, and suddenly all the kings bowed down before the Christ. And I was going, this is an academic exercise. You don't talk dreams and subjective, you know, my little dream story. And he's a brilliant Guy, you know, you should have noticed, you know, a pastor like me should have done that in a debate like that. <laughs> and then he makes the following statement. He says, the sum total of all the attributes it takes to be a king is summarized in the person and in the nature of Christ. Believe it or don't believe it. It's a dream. But for many people, Jesus is the embodiment of perfect leadership. He's the servant leader. He's the revolutionary pacifist. He's the strict freedom fighter that is, you know, soft on the one side, kind and loving and picking up children. And on the other hand, he's strict, the judge. He's God and he's human. So the paradoxical part of who Jesus is that made him God, where C.S. Lewis 
would say this is the tri-dilemma, meaning three things. Either Jesus was a liar and the greatest disillusionist or illusionist that's ever lived. Secondly, or he is totally crazy and out of his mind. Or three, he's God. And what are you going to do about it? And sort of the great academics in the world has been debating this about Jesus. And so it's Resurrection Sunday. And uh, so there's a few people that are on holiday. They chose to use this time to take a break, which don't feel guilty because how many of you have been taking a break this weekend? Now, how many know that if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have been able to take a break? So, you know, it's because of him that we have freedom. And uh, this morning, and if you haven't listened or saw the video, please have a look at this morning's meeting. It's only, I think, 40 minutes. And uh, we did the whole cedar meal. And uh, the Passover meal that was was, um, conducted, 15 things had to happen at this meal. And and Jews today still um, do the cedar meal at Passover time. And to me, the big takeaway was that the founding, and listen carefully now, the founding of Jewism was the deliverance from Egypt, from a slave nation to God's people. 400 years of slavery, of being no one, having no identity, no name, no purpose, being slave workers uh, to the Egyptian rulers of the time. Suddenly from the Exodus and what Moses did and the ten plagues and the story of crossing the Jordan, becoming a nation. So whenever throughout history, like the Americans have the 4th of July, and they say that's what made us a nation, is what happened at the revolution and the North and South War and when all the conglomerate states formed this new American federal state system as we know America today, and they say the 4th of July is the founding of our nation. Now listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the founding, is the basis, is the spark, is the energy, is the Big Bang. <laughs> it's the, uh, we did a, the summit this weekend about a ripple effect. It's like the big drop that fell into the earth. And if you think about Jesus' blood dripping on the, on the land and on the soil, caused an earthquake. Go read it. Uh, it. It caused the graves to open. It is a cosmic event that happens. It's not just, oh, no, that Jesus is It is, you know, we go back, what is the creation? Where did man come from? Where did the world begin? You know, how did life begin? Okay, well now we know how Judaism began, but Christianity began the time, the moment when Jesus was raised from the dead. The veil torn, earthquakes, graves opening up, some cosmic events happened, and it began as the new movement. Now, I always tell the story, because to me it's just so funny, is I've, I've, one of my favorite comic books was Obelix and Asterix and Dogafix. And uh, I can't remember all the other fixes. Get the, get the fix. There you go. <laughs> I read them all. And uh, to me, it was always fun when um, 
when Obelix, the big guy, you know, he sort of with one fist hits a guy that it looks like he's taking off as a sort of a spaceship, you know, it's like <laughs> one hit. And he had he fell into the, the, the mulberry juice and uh, remember drank all of it, so he became all the time very powerful and Asterix, the small guy, he had to drink the juices and he also becomes powerful. So when I realized that Paul, when he ministered to the Galatians, those, that was the goals. So imagine uh, Obelix and the guy with the, the red beard, the ruler of, this, of, the, of the tribe, sitting there. And then Paul, the evangelist, comes to share the gospel with them. He wouldn't have done it with circumcision. Okay, he wouldn't have converted them with Judaism, uh, ha having your hair curled, of having a yamaka, little wiki, and being circumcised, and go do the feast in Jerusalem and sacrifice some stuff. It wouldn't have worked. They said, "Ah, on said on a mulberry juice, gummy juice. What's a juice? Any kind of juice." And uh, so, so Paul had to do some powerful things. He did have to do some miracles. He had to do some signs and wonders. Maybe some people got healed. Maybe he had a word of knowledge. And these guys go, what does this guy have? What is he talking about? And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that started the New Testament movement. Now, what is very interesting, if you look at uh, Alexander the Great, which is possibly in literature, is possibly the biggest conqueror that ever lived. That's how even the world would look at Alexander the Great. The earliest writings of his endeavors is about 150 years after he lived. Uh, and it's very mythical about all the things that he's done and all the great exploits. Now, if you think about it, that the gospel, as we know it, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke and, and John, uh, John was written a little bit later, but most of the New Testament must have been written before 70 AD. So 70 AD, as you know, is the great fall of Jerusalem. So that is such a great event that if it happened in biblical times, someone would have wrote about it. Somewhere it should have come through um, in any of the writings. So the whole of the New Testament writings was written before 70 AD. Now, if you take Jesus died around 30, 33 AD, that leaves between, let's say, 30 to 70, another 40 years around, that most of the New Testament is written. So the point I'm making is that the gospel writers were writing the evidence of what they've seen to an audience that was there. That could have said, ah, ons was da. And they were writing Matthew, the, you know, if you think of Mark, the oldest gospel, and uh, if you make a study of the gospels, um, possibly there's portions of Mark as the oldest gospel that is, you find almost textually reiterated again later. If you think about the two chapters, 25 and 26, it speaks about the end time. And if you go put all those passages, Matthew, Mark, and John, um, Matthew, Luke, and Mark, uh, onto one another, it's 
close to about 60, 70 verses that are exactly the same. So that means there's an older source that wrote about the end times. So it gives it a bit of you know, authenticity. Now, to me, you know, if you want to fabricate a story, you fabricate a story and it begins to feel fabricated. Something about the way the Gospels is written is that they don't mind humiliating and actually giving people facts to put themselves up for target practice. For instance, a reliable witness of anything was not a woman. So the fact that they mentioned that the first person who saw Jesus resurrected, being a lady, Mary, is mentioned. It's not hidden. You know, if you, if, that's not something you sort of put out there. The fact that his own disciples, if you read John, particularly John was a negative writer, there's about seven, eight verses in John all over John where people were doubting. Now, you don't put the bullets of the guys that's going to accuse you of, you know, you don't put it in the text, man. You know? So they put it there that Thomas was doubting and uh, even Peter had his issues, remember, and all these stories. You go, you know, it's not reliable, these fishermen should have got some guys with degrees so that they can prove the whole story. But the fact that they made these normal people tell the story, sharing their doubts, the nice story is where his own family doubted. So why would you put that in the text? <laughs> but it's right there. And uh, his own family saying, I just he's crazy. And, and it makes the story very, very believable. So, I wrote a poem. A couple of, I don't know how long ago. Adele, you've been reading all my stuff. So, I wrote the following. Success without Christ is arrogance. Isn't that true? Because if you are successful and, and you reach success, then the greatest honor is to say it is only by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ who has helped me to do this. It keeps me humble. Church without Christ is dead religion. Education without Christ is empty philosophy. Because the fact that Jesus lived and physically demonstrated what he was teaching when he said, you need to turn your cheek, that's a nice philosophy, good idea. Well, Jesus, he did it. Uh, forgive those and pray for those who despitefully use you. It's a nice idea. It sounds very religious. Jesus demonstrated it. There's nothing that Jesus preached that he didn't demonstrate. Healing methods without Christ leads to addiction. Think about that for a moment. You know, sometimes when something works for us, medication works for us, that thing becomes our crutch, becomes the thing we totally build our lives on, that we can't go without that pulse. Humanity without Christ becomes humanism. Laws without Christ becomes domination, slavery. Prayer 
without obedience to Christ becomes witchcraft. Prosperity without Christ becomes materialism. Unity without Christ is a man-made Babylon. Vision without Christ is ambition. Working without Christ is slavery and toil. Worship without Christ is idolatry. So, I think a good topic for my sermon, would you agree, is Jesus, the sum total of all things. Jesus is the sum total. He that, is that holds it all together. Now, as I'm, I'm thinking about Resurrection Sunday, and, and there's a reason that I'm doing this tonight, and you can go and uh, check this out. This is on Afrikaans and English. Adele, you can maybe put it on the group. But on my book, The Jesus Life, um, I think it is chapter 4, uh, and it's in Afrikaans and in English. I give all the details on why do we believe in the resurrection of Christ. And how many of you know that as Christians, we need to know what I've just quickly shared? We need to know some details, some historical details and reasons so that we can say to the world, hey, and uh, there's a nice book that you can get your hands on and Andy Stanley, if you write this down, and he wrote the book Irresistible. And I love the book uh, because the gospel is irresistible. And he said, what makes the gospel of the New Testament irresistible, that even the Romans believed it, that you think of the small sect that started in Galilee, Judea. Remember the whole of Galilee had about 600,000 people. You're looking at the whole of Israel at that time was maybe not more than 2 million people. Um, think of the whole known world was around 22 million people at that time. So the little 12 group of Jesus was small. It's insignificant. It's obscure. It's like, who's this group? Jesus didn't leave behind any buildings, didn't leave behind any books, didn't leave behind mm, just a few disciples that believed. And yet, in 270 AD, Christianity became the world religion. What propelled them? What propelled them to become irresistible? What, what, what about them made them different that all the religions in the world began to look at this Jesus? And this is what I want to share with you about tonight. Now, this is why you came, and it's just good to hear this again tonight. Because, and here's the thing, Jesus is not historically only alive. He's eternally alive, and that means we have a first-hand encounter with Jesus today still. Okay, let me do that again. So yes, I can defend, and it's the one thing, you know, it's hard to defend the Old Testament because there's some stuff in the Old Testament that I don't understand. <laughs> All right? But, but one of the things that we as a church shamelessly can defend with honor with pride, is the resurrection of Christ. There's enough proof, as I've just given you, um, the fact that there were so many witnesses, there were so many that saw with their first-hand experiences. And then what happened, and here's the story, is Paul had a spiritual encounter with the living Christ. How many of you had a spiritual encounter with the living Christ? 
Come on, there you go. <laughs> Meaning, Jesus is alive in the way he makes himself alive to people today still. So I have the facts that I can say he was resurrected. There's enough proof that we can uh, base, we can found, we can prove the fact that he was definitely raised from the dead. But you know what? For 2,000 years later, how is Christianity staying alive? Because of historical facts? No. Because of people are still having encounters with Jesus. Jesus is still revealing himself in special ways to people where they go, yay. Yay, man. Something is happening here. Who can say amen to this? Now, the, the most interesting thing about Jesus that makes him so different than everyone else and all the Alexander the Greats and the Genghis Gons and the great leaders who ever lived and uh, it's the fact that Jesus showed not the way for us to get to God but he revealed what God did to get to us. Isn't that awesome? All the other religious say, Yalamut, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do this, and, 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 and then you get to God. And then Jesus came and says, let me tell you what God did to get to you. Let me heal some sick. Let me feed a few people bread, multiply fish and bread. Let me just do some stuff here so that you can see what God is willing to do to get you saved to get you to turn your heart to him. Guys, listen, that's amazing, isn't it? Now, a couple of weeks ago, you guys would remember this uh, one recording we couldn't do was, and to me it was something mystical, was that the revelation of a first-hand encounter with Jesus is the spark that started the fire. Okay, let me do that again. It can only be that. So, Jesus asks his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? So, the one says, da, 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 da. and then Peter came and he says, you are the Messiah, the one to come. And then Jesus looked at him and he says, Peter, Simon Peter, he says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe what Jesus was referring to as a rock was not Peter. He was referring to the revelation Peter had. The fact that Peter had a revelation. He says, Peter, you couldn't have known this by flesh. You couldn't have known this by man. You couldn't have figured this out by books and history. It was revealed to you by God. And that revelation is the revelation that I will build my church on. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Say amen. Guys, in that first-hand experiences, that first-hand moments, how many of you, when we worship tonight, you know, we almost came in here and there was like, who, who had some experiences this week and you go, Eesh, you know, this, I had a friend years ago, he would say, <laughs> I 
<laughs> you know, he was referring to there's some storms in its spiritual. And we sometimes feel it, you know, it's like we feel, what's going on around us? And then, you know, this tonight when Adele just started singing, I just felt, how many felt it? It's just like a wave of God's love, just a wave of God's presence. And suddenly you go, I can go to heaven now. How many felt it? It's like, this is it. This, I mean, it can't get any better than this. And, uh, and you know, when, when Herschel plays and he just enjoys himself and all the music and the worship and the singing and the voices becomes to harmonize. And again, we see and we have this pure revelation of Jesus in our heart. And that connection is what... Now, I was talking to someone over the weekend last week about diets and being healthy. So we were having a discussion. How many of you are struggling with your weight? Okay, some are trying to put on weight. <laughs> They're struggling to put on weight. I need that gene, all right? Is it the gene you can put on? And uh, then you have someone that are struggling to lose weight. And we were talking about the whole thing about you know, when we, we have a sugar-induced diet where we eat too much sugar and we eat too much fatty foods and so forth uh, and too, too much processed food, one of the things that dietitians will tell you is that you actually become numb to your own body. You don't feel that you had enough. It's like the signs and the signals that your body puts out. Okay, I get kanukhaat or I'm hungry or whatever. Those, those language from your body gets muffled. It, how many of you, if you fasted for two days and then you start eating healthy and you eat just the right food, suddenly when you eat that cake, you feel? Ah. Because your body is for the first time speaking again and you're actually understanding the language. <laughs> and you go, oh, I'm getting the code here. And then I realize, wait a minute, okay, so I need to connect with my body. And there's science about this. Some say that if you learn to listen to your body, when to exercise, that when you feel like exercising, it's the right time to go exercising. And when you feel, oh, it's maybe a good time to go and rest and sleep and just learn to listen to your body. And sometimes, for those of you that for a very long time, it's been that you heard anything from your body. <laughs> it's when your body said, I'm not hungry. <laughs> because it happens, believe me or not, it does. You go, I'm not hungry. Well, don't eat. You know, um, anyway, so I'm getting off on that thing. And then I realized well, there's a connection problem coming to marriage as well because any couple will tell you, it's for, for my knee, connect me. <laughs> Is this true? And it's like the signals are also getting muffled and we're not getting, you know, we, we're too busy and we're working too hard and, Think Dolly Parton sing a song. You don't. What's that song? You don't sing me love songs anymore. And you sort of, you know, you don't do this and you don't do that. So it's also about connection. And then and then I go and I realize, well, when we're together, and this morning when we were doing the the cedar meal, uh, this whole thing about family. It's a family meal. It's for the children, so they can understand the symbolism about things and so forth. And suddenly one of our members just said, hey, I'm just so lonely. I don't have a husband. I don't have 
a partner and it's seriously alone and today I'm alone. And then we ministered to, to her and to others and then I realized, but we need a connection with the world. There's nothing as terrible as to be in a crowd and to still be alone and to feel that you're not connected with anyone. And then I'm beginning to realize, but is this not why Jesus came and why he died, why he was crucified, and why he paid the price so that he can reconnect the connection? It's like, how I many of you out of Wi-Fi? <laughs> you're just kidding. Or signal, you know, sometimes you want, you want a phone, and you're in a sort of a place where the signal's poor, and you go... I just need a signal. Guys, Jesus did that. He provided a connection. And the connection is not a church. The connection is, of course, a church and the ministry of the church. But it's he created the connection that you can hear him for yourself. So two weeks ago, we were doing class 101 with our 20-year-olds. And it's only the second time that we are meeting our young people and so they're sitting there, and I thought, where would I start with them? Where would I start? And I realized, I'm going to teach them how to hear God's voice. And they were sitting. Hmm. Vaisons who did work, you know. <laughs> because it's like, why would you come to church, you know, and listen to a sermon? Yeah, it's great to listen to a sermon, but I mean, hey, isn't it awesome that we can actually hear God's voice for ourselves? Say Amen. So we taught them, and like in 15 minutes, I taught them and how Jesus came so that he says the sheep hears the voice of the shepherd, and that Jesus came so that we can hear, and the veil was torn so that we can hear, and the distance and the separation was removed by his blood and by his sacrifice so that we don't no longer in distance, no longer in alienation, no longer in separation, but that we now, God Emmanuel, God close to us. And so this young girl, and I taught him how to write. Just write what you believe God is speaking to you. And she started immediately writing. I'm going, what is she writing? And then it's like he licked the sparky eyes. And she goes, this is God speaking to me. This is awesome. And, and, and when she recognized that what she was writing and what she was hearing couldn't have been herself. It couldn't have just been a nice idea. This was God speaking to her in a voice in her heart. And I went, wow. Say wow. You need to convince you. You need to convince you. Amen. So guys, listen, that, that is awesome. So Moses comes and he says, Lord, you, the fact that I can hear your voice, the fact that I can I have access to you. It's my exceedingly great reward. So this afternoon I was telling a story, and I'm going to end with this. Uh, Dr. Brian, we're in, in Uganda together, and uh, we decided it's his birthday. And uh, I sort of got it wrong that I scheduled meetings for us. And this particular day, which was his birthday, we went to the poorest village that I've been and we went to this little church and about 
a hundred people came and they built themselves a mud church. How many have been in a mud building? I mean, they made this building out of mud, literally. And uh, mud and sticks, you know, and patch roof and a hundred people were jabuloing there inside and they're singing and they're praising God and they had no musical instruments, only drums and some shakers and things. And so they made us some food that I could barely eat. <laughs> to be honest, it's like, whew. All right. So, so late at night, we came home back at the hotel. And what I've done is I prearranged with the hotel, knowing it's his birthday, that they will make him a cake and serve us this fantastic meal. And, and when we got to the hotel, there's no one. So the lady come, I said, where's the cake? She says, but it's tomorrow night. I said, no, no, it's tonight. She says, well, the kitchen is closed. There's no one here. And I'm going, no, I'm, that's a coffin iskander. Now I'm going back to Dr. Brian and I'm like getting my real sorry face on and I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling so bad. I'm going, Brian, man, I, I organized this and, 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 and I've never his face. He looked at me like this and he went, hey, brother. He said, I had all the birthday that I could ever want. I'm saved. I've been renewed. I was a sinner destined for hell. I was a crooked man full addicted. I was a bad person. I was dying and he made me alive. That's my birthday. I don't need gifts. I don't need, I mean, yay, he preached it. <laughs> and I went, Yay! Yay! Come on, guys. Do not lose the joy of your salvation. My name is written in the book of life. Amen. I have been, I've received the greatest gift. I was destined for hell. I was destined for death without God. I was uh, yoked under sin. I was yoked under the imprisonment of bad. Come on. And Jesus freed me. Jesus set me free. So, we have a little resurrection story. How many of you have seen a cork? A cork that you use to close a wine bottle. A cork. Near pork, near a cork. A cork. All right. Now, the nice thing about a cork, and this is uh, Dr. Andre Pelser taught us, this is the first message that I've ever heard about resurrection, was the cork story. And, uh, and I just think it's a good way to end this message. If you heard it, just sound excited. All right. <laughs> so, so have you seen a cork? If you fill the bath up to the brim, you take the cork, you put it down onto the floor of the bath and you leave it. What happens? And? Look up, Pop. Come on, Pop. We can pop then. There you go, Pop. <laughs> I can't do the Pop. And he pops up. So you go. <laughs> so you go into the deep end of the swimming pool. You dive down, leave it down there. And you leave it. And what happens? Pops up. Ah, again. So you take the cook, you go, hmm. 
I'll show you. So you go there in Saldana Bay, Donny Harbour. Die Owens Mini, the copper tanks on the heads. All right, and you go down like 20 meters. Your cook. <laughs> One of you can do it. Now, at this point, you have to notice that the moment you let the cork go, it develops legs and arms and web-like fingers like a fish, and it starts swimming. Have you seen it? Have anyone seen this? And, they, and, and you can actually see how the cork is working itself up until it gets like, yeah. No, 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 no. It's in the DNA. It's in the DNA of the cook. That when you leave it down there, it what? It gets up. Now, let's see if you agree with me. This is resurrection power. That when Jesus was raised from the dead, he unlocked that resurrection power in you and me. And how many of you can now say this with me? Truthfully, you've been down. The pressures of the world have made you feel like it were me at the deep swim, but <laughs> any guy going, why me? <laughs> Come on now, and you feel, where's the Lord? It's like you're looking through the water. It's like, you know, to the sky. You can't even see the sun. It's like two meters deep, you know. So you're looking through the, it looks all. How many try to open your eyes underwater? <laughs> now, sometimes it feels like that, you know. It feels, where's God? Where's the sun? Where's the presence? Where? And, you, and, you know, you really feel suffocating under all the pressures and the darkness of this world. But one morning, three days later, you wake up and you go, oh, yeah, I'm alive. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you've prayed. It's not like you've done anything. It's not like you developed some kind of extra feet or something or like He-Man or Iron Man developed some rocket under your shoes or anything. It's just like, you're up. Come on now. It's like nothing can keep me down. That sounds like a song. And nothing can keep me down. Yeah. Uh. Another one bites the dust. <laughs> That's the enemy thing, right? That's what the enemy thing. And then we need to do our version. And they are getting up. Uh. Again. And again, I'm getting up. Uh. Again. And <laughs> like, okay, I saw this with Jeannie and the Fris when, when you guys were in hospital, and it was, man, it was a hard time, and I was so blessed with your family, I, I'm so proud of knowing you, because Jeannie would write down on big papers, scriptures, and big words like she does, and, and she would have the Fris read it, and you could only barely mention the names and she makes him read the Bible because another one. Yeah. 
I'm getting it. Amen. And it's like, and before you know it, he's getting up and he's getting up and he's getting stronger. And, and that was hard. It was not like easy. Amen. The devil can't get us down. He's for sure trying. <laughs> he's for sure trying. But we have a cork in our DNA because our nature changed. We are, I've died in Christ. His resurrection is now our resurrection. Our DNA has changed. Our nature has changed. We say I'm a new creation. And being a new creation means I have resurrection power in my blood. That's another song. Amen. There's a song like that, I think. I've resurrection power in my blood. Yeah. Yeah. The devil can't keep me down. Yeah. Yeah. I've resurrection power in my blood. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Come on. This is a lack of preaching. I'm enjoying myself. I don't know if you guys are online, but I'm enjoying myself. Listen, yesterday I was so depressed. If I would spook, I'll kill the grass for 10 miles. Okay? If I would sneeze, I'll kill all these mosquitoes in the West Coast. It's like, how many of you have had moments like that? You, you just so, you just like, I don't like the world. I don't like myself. I don't like anything. I don't like my chair. That stupid chair. How many of you have, <laughs> you just, you just like, I don't even feel safe at this point. Chantal goes, hello, hello, young, are you there? It's like somewhere, and it's like, and we have moments like that. So you know what? Went to sleep, got up this morning, and then we couldn't find my car keys. And we need to get to church, and I need to set up everything, and I can't find my car keys, and I'm working up a sort of anger that if I now say something, it's not going to be nice. So Chantal is keeping her cool. She's much more resurrected at that point in Jesus. So she's very holy. She's keeping me calm. Don't worry. Everything is going to be all right. And you're not sitting up everything. And then, uh, you know what, somewhere along driving to Citrus Dole, and what? I have to drive my father's car. Oh, that was actually nice. I haven't driven it for a while. I thought, this is a nice car. I actually like it. You know, keep it. Anyway. But my point is, somewhere between yesterday and me preaching this message, resurrection power kicked in. It's not by works. It's not by what I've done, but it's by what he's done. And this resurrection power is in us, safe in us. Amen? And when the world hits us with all these hard blows and stuff that happens, sickness and death, he says, let the dead bury the dead. Because we have resurrection power. Amen? We have resurrection power. I'm not afraid of the dead. I'm not afraid of death. Amen? That's the ultimate victory. Is that we have life. And we have 
abundance in our lives. When I'm considering that death is gain. Death is gain. When we die to self, when self moves out of the way, I mean, no, this is the truth, the quicker Jesus can be resurrected. Sometimes when the only thing that stands in the way for you to experience the full power of his resurrection is self, me, my comfort, my wants, my fame, my status, my ambitions, my dreams. And when we choose to surrender all of that, choose to die, this resurrection, power. How many of you have been at moments where you were so tired, so unreligious, so like you felt useless, and then in a certain moment, someone asks you a question about God, and you start testifying, and later you start sharing, and later on, you want to buy the tape. You go, this is actually good stuff coming out of my mouth at a moment. I didn't know it was in there. It's resurrection power. Isn't this awesome? This is resurrection power. It's that Jesus lived resurrection power. He lived resurrection. He lived life. You know, they say that even in, in life and in all living creatures, there's this will to live. And each one of us have that, the will to live. It's beautiful because it's part of the nature of Christ. Everything has been made through him and by him. But how many of you know that there's something in us that wants to live this life? So... There's a whole lot of movies out there, the Highlanders and all this, that speaks about immortality, that people that don't die, so they become a thousand years old. And I've sort of been thinking about it. In some of these new movies, in the beginning, they were making it look great. They were like, that's something to live for, to now also get this immortality to never die. And then these guys live on this world, in this planet, with all its misery for a thousand years. Now, I mean, you know, I don't want to live that long. <laughs> I don't want to live for a thousand years with all these hooligans and people. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. That's on a tape. All right. Okay. But I'm, I'm living on this planet with like bad going and lying and jealousy and envy and betrayal and wars. And I don't want to live here forever. The up resurrection power. Up resurrection power. The power that we can live our lives here and leave it behind. And then we have an eternity to live with Jesus. And everyone say, Amen. So let's stand. I want you to just stay where you are, just in your own lips, begin to pray, praise Him. Come on. For resurrection. Praise Him for being alive. Come, I want to hear you. Just start praising Him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for life. We thank you for the blessed gift of salvation. We love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just praise him, praise him. You've been listening online. We're going to go off and then we're going to put off now any moment. But share this message with someone so that the life of Christ, the message, the best message, the best news, the spark of a new Jesus movement, 2,000 years old, that is still moving, still escalating, still gaining momentum all over the world because of the life of Jesus Christ. God bless you. Amen.